No self-control at all when it comes to Proverbs. So you get two of them today. Verse 3, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. (laughs) Wow, we do that. And then 20, listen to the advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. So there we go. There's a good one to to cover over those vegetables. We get some chocolate with it there too. Um, I want to give you a quick praise report. Last week, um, we prayed... And I, if you were here, you might remember um, a family in the church got a phone call. Please pray for uh, us. And the people calling, pre- please pray for us, have nothing to do with the church. Not this church, but any church. They um, have no relationship with God. It's a large family who was encountered, had encountered a, a significant tragedy, brokenhearted, and they know that some among us have relationship with the Lord, probably all of us, have a relationship with the Lord, but they know there's a difference between having a relationship and not. And they, they called Sunday morning and said, could you pray for us? Didn't know that the church would pray for them. And so we prayed. We prayed for them, among other things. And um, this family, who have been closed to discuss anything having to do with God for decades, won't have anything to do with them, don't want anything to do with them, hold people who um, have a relationship at an arm's length. Um, Sunday after church, there were... Something happened in their hearts because the person who got the phone, original phone call got a second phone call. They wanted to talk, and this person ended up getting handed off from person to person to person, talked to five different people in three different households, all of them soft-hearted about the thing. So we'll see where that goes. But I wanted you to know that your prayer made a difference, that it, walls came down, and I think it's because we prayed. Way to go, God. Way to go, right? Praise the Lord, right? Way to go. So last week, okay, so last week we started a, um, in a new series, and we've been in the book of Nehemiah, and we talked about the fact that God specializes in using common, ordinary people like us. If you were the homecoming queen or the best athlete in school, God can use you too, but God, he specializes in using us ordinary people. And so the book of Nehemiah tells us this story that uh, about 440 years before Christ, here are the, the people, They're, they've been held off in captivity for years, and for 140 years at this point, the walls that surrounded the city of Jerusalem had been down. They were crumbled. There was no protection around the city. It was a big deal. It was a big deal at that time because it was the walls around the cities that gave people safety, and the people that lived there felt dis- dis- hopeless. There was despair. They, they were depressed. They didn't think that they could ever have hope again of living Um, a hope-filled, normal life like they would want. Their best days were behind them. Now, Nehemiah was a guy who had been, he was actually a slave. He was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. He lived a 1,000 miles away. He had a pretty cool job. He got to be the wine taster for the king. Pretty cool as long as nobody tried to poison him. And if nobody did try to poison him, he got the best wines and the best food, and it all worked out great. And one day, his brother comes to town, and he says, hey, tell me about back home what's going on. And his brother tells him what's going on how bad things are. And when Nehemiah heard that, he was broken. He was devastated, brokenhearted, this guy was. And then we discovered, as we talked about this last week, that when you are willing to open up your heart, the Lord will take that burden that's in your heart and turn it into your place of ministry. Happens over and over again. This ordinary cupbearer we examined, we saw that he allowed his heart to break He knelt down to pray, and then he decided to stand up and act. And uh, God uses people that do that. So we learned last week 
that the Lord calls every one of us to some level of leadership. It's down in you, whether you believe it or not. And we're going to talk about that some more today. Today's going to be a little more practical. I do want to take a, a, you know, a little detour because last week I picked on Popeye's girlfriend. And I said she was, okay, I think the quote went something like this. She was, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. Ugly, ugly, <laughs> ugly right? And I decided because I got just a little bit of resistance after church that I'd let you decide for yourself if she was ugly. Did she go away already? But I want you to know that there is an alternative. This is a picture of real beauty. It's not olive oil. Uh-oh. That's okay. Okay, there's olive oil. Now let's go on to the real picture of a beauty. <laughs> I'm going to pay. I want you to know. You know, you know, I spent a long time on messages, a long time. I spent a long time this time carving that out with Photoshop. Lisa had no idea. <laughs> anyway, so, so Popeye, you might remember, had this, this phrase he was used to saying, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. No, you don't get that. You remember that, okay? So, so remember that? He got to that point where he says, I can't stand things anymore. Let's have, can we have Popeye? Are we ready for Popeye? <laughs> you better go to the next slide quickly. Okay. Oh, here we go. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. All I can stands. I can't stands no more. So Nehemiah took on this attitude. I'm moving away before I dig any deeper. <laughs> he takes on this attitude. Hey. Somebody's got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. This very ordinary guy got, got a, a burr in his saddle, and he said, I'm going to do something about this. I love the fact that he didn't do that because of his position, that God didn't use him just because of his position. He was this lowly guy. God used him because of his passion, because he had it down in his heart. And there's a pretty cool underlying principle for us to gather there and that is this to make a difference in the world you don't have to be the best you only have to care the most to make a huge difference you don't have to be the best person you don't have to be the person everybody else looks at and says wow most likely to succeed you just have to be the person who has passion in your heart and cares and he took that position somebody's got to do something about this and it might as well be me if I was to ask for a show of hands, how many people of you don't feel like a world-class, world-changing leader? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. All right. See, I, th I thought so. I thought most of us feel that. We don't feel that way. We don't. We, we just say, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I've never had a position of influence like that. I just don't feel like I'm a world-class leader. It's a tragedy because I, want, I wonder what happens when we just decide to let those feelings stop us from better things. So I thought we'd have a little bit of an interesting examination of a few famous people. I'm not going to tell you who these people are at first. I'm just going to give you some. You think, if, see if you can figure out who I'm talking about. First guy was fired by a newspaper editor because he, quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. No good ideas. Walt Disney. No good ideas. 
nice, nice guess. Nice guess. Okay, number, number two guy. He didn't speak until he was four. Didn't read until he was seven. Caused his teachers and parents to think he was mentally handicapped. Is this me? No, no. no. Uh, slow and antisocial, eventually he was expelled from school. Einstein. We have an Einstein in the front row over here. Okay, it was, this is Albert Einstein. Here's a good one. This guy was turned down by a Toyota Motor Corporation after interviewing for a job as an engineer, and he was unemployed for a very long time. His name is Sochiro Honda. He's unemployed. He starts making scooters out of his garage. His neighbors say, you ought to start a business, so he does. You've heard of him, I'm sure. In fact, you probably have his product. There's a lot of them in our parking lot, I'm sure. This fourth guy, teachers told him he was too stupid to learn anything. He's fired from his first two jobs for, being, uh, for not being productive enough. And as an, he tried to be an inventor. And he made a 1,000 versions of this thing before he got it right. Not bad. Thomas Edison. That's, that's good. This next guy had 27 different publishers reject his first book. Theodore Seuss Geisel. Dr. Seuss. 27 different publishers said, that'll never sell. There's no interest in that. Green Eggs and Ham, Cat in the Hat, Cat in the Hat Comes Back. You, you know the man, right? A great literary genius. Okay. This next guy uh, was confronted by a guy named Jenny Denny, who was the manager of the Grand Ole Opry. He fired him after just one performance, saying, you ain't going nowhere, son. You had to go back to driving a truck. Elvis. Oh, yes, Elvis. <laughs> Did I really do that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, now this next handful of people were told by a recording company, we don't like your sound, and guitar music is on the way out. The Beatles. Okay. That's just a sm- <laughs> We still use guitars today, in spite of the Beatles wearing that instrument out completely. It's completely gone. <laughs> so that list is a group of people who were told to stop believing in themselves. Most people say, okay. We encounter some sort of resistance somewhere. We encounter somebody who says, you'll never amount to that. We're told that by the world pretty regularly. And that group of people were said, what if they were willing to listen? I don't know. With today's help, I want to help you. I want to help equip you and empower you to help you see yourselves truly as a world-changing leader. You can make a difference by yourself, but to impact the world, you need to know this. You have to see yourself as a leader, equipped and empowered by God. And to to make that difference, you're going to have to also impact other people around you. So today I want to get a little practical because I really believe you don't have to be the best. I just believe you have to care the most. So let's let's take a look. Let's dive back into the book of Nehemiah and see um, what, what, what we can learn there about the practical. There were three characteristics, I think, that we can pick on today. First is that he defines his mission clearly. Let's look at in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 4. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this is a little mini rabbit trail. I couldn't help it on this one. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I want to say two things about this. He's on his way for his quest. If prayer isn't necessary for you to fulfill your mission, you're not thinking big enough. Plus, 
If faith isn't required, that is not the call of God on your life. And we could go into those later. That's, those are two whole sermons. I'm not going to go there. You could camp out in Hebrews 11 if you want to find out more about that second one. So back to the scripture. Um, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried. Now watch how clearly he defines his mission. He says, so that I can rebuild it. Now there were many, many things he could have answered and said he was going to do. In Jerusalem, he could have said, I'm going to fix the economy. I'm going to get rid of corrupt politicians. But in a single crisp statement, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to rebuild the walls. Last week, maybe, you started to talk about, we, we stirred up a little bit the issues of the burdens that the Lord puts on our heart. Maybe you started talking about that. And I want to help you today to narrow it down to a very crisp, clear statement and ask you the question, what is God calling you to do? What's he calling you to do? I mean, I had conversations with several people last week, since last week. Immediately after the service, a lot of people were talking to me, and I heard a lot of very broad things. I heard some very fine, refined things. I mean, um, for example, I heard one guy, one, one, one guy says to me, I'm just tired of being in debt. I'm tired of not being right with God with my money, and I'm tired of not being right with all these creditors that call me. I'm just tired of it. So what he said to me is, I'm going to be right. I'm going to lead my family so that we're right with God and we're right with our creditors and out of debt, not counting our house mortgage. We're going to be out of debt by Christmas. Wow, that's a great, that's a great goal. Might be a lot, might not. I don't know. God may be all over that, but I love the specific, specific thing. Very strong. I mean, it's very clear. A 12-year-old can get behind a mission statement like that. They can understand that very easy. So here's a key. If you can't define it, you're not going to be able to do it. If you can't define it, you're not going to do it. Don't just say, well, I have this burden. I'm going to help the poor. That's way too broad. I mean, I mean, you know, way, way vague. Who are the poor? What specifically um, identifies, you know, wh- what is it that you're going to say that's, who are the poor you're talking about? And how are you going to help them? Is it going to be with clothes or food or um, dental work? I mean, what are you going to do? And which poor? The ones in Norway, the ones in China, the ones in your kid's classroom. And what does it mean to help them? I mean, very specifically, what do you want God, what do you want God to ask you and to help you to do? Here's another one I heard. I I want people, every single visitor who comes to Crossroads Church to feel welcome and safe, valued and cared for. That's a great goal. That's the, somebody has put that, the Lord put that on somebody's heart. That's great. And I think the Lord is doing those kinds of things. And, and that's a vision people can get behind. What do you want God to use you to do? Because if you can't define it, you're not going to be able to do it. So now Nehemiah says, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to rebuild the walls. So he defines his mission carefully. And the second thing he does is he makes plans carefully. We've already got the what. And we're going to talk about the how. Because of that very old saying, if you... Fail to plan, you plan to fail. fail. Yeah, you've heard that before. Okay, good. So let's watch and see how Nehemiah de- details this um, in, uh, starting in verse 6. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. In other words, here's how long it's going to take. He's already thought through this project. Verse 7, I also said to him, now he's going to make two very specific requests to the king. Um, if it pleases the king, one, May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. In other words, would you tell them to protect me that I'm on official business? 
pretty bold request. And two, this is more bold request than you realize. We'll talk about that in a minute. And two, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls. Oh, and for my house too. Okay. So would you ask Asaph, the guy who manages your forest, to give me wood so that I can rebuild the wall? Now, just the fact, some scholars say, just the fact that he knew Asaph's name shows he'd been doing some homework. You and I just think, oh, just Google, King's Forest. Right? <laughs> there was no Google. So to find out who this guy was, the proper person to ask for, and what kind of permission to get, I mean, he had to do some strategic behind-the-scenes digging, and he worked pretty hard. And I think sometimes Christians can tend to think that the planning process just isn't very spiritual. And I can tell you, that's one of the silliest things, you know, to think. It's just not true. I mean, you might think, for example, that... um, you know, just to take me as an example, that I show up on Sunday morning and I might have just read a devotion for a little bit of time before I get here. I got to tell you, no. I spend a long time preparing for these messages. You know, you might think to yourselves too long maybe, um, but the truth is, here's a simple truth. The longer I study, the shorter the message gets. That's a true fact. Seems crazy, seems counterintuitive, but it gets more focused and refined and more pointed. And so, you know, anytime you, you think I'm going too long-winded, you can just lovingly put your arm around me after church and say, hey, Terry, you just need to get more study time, don't you? <laughs> right? And you'll probably be right spot on. So God does work in the preparation. And, you know, pastors get told by mentors that God works as much in the preparation as he does in the presentation. And i got to tell you, that's just true. You know, the first times I started preparing ever to, to speak publicly and preach the word, I learned very quickly that the time of study and preparation is rich. I love it. It's wonderful. It's um, God's way at work there, probably way more in my personal life than in the message. And it's, it's inevitable. The word of God is powerful, and it's a two-edged sword, and it never returns void, and it's, it's, it's good. So, okay, so back to our, 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 where we're going here. I want to suggest you don't put this project down like I'm going to eliminate poverty. Instead, you've got this big, huge project that you're going to do. Start thinking it through one simple step at a time, something that you know you can accomplish. We're going to get practical for a minute. So, for example, you have a, a, a burden to do something in your city and help out, uh, help out, the, help out with poverty in your area, and you say, okay, First step, find out who else is doing it. Do a little research, find out who else is doing it. Second step, call them up. Make an appointment. Hey, can I sit down and talk with you? Third thing, put the appointment on your calendar. I mean, these are all achievable steps. You can do this. You don't have to be Sister Teresa. You don't have to be Walt Disney, right? Anybody in the room can think this through. Fourth thing, show up for the appointment and talk and listen. I mean, break it down. You don't have to make this change of the world all at once. You do it one step at a time. I am... I had a, a privilege with a, a young man a number of years ago who came to me and he said, I got to do an Eagle project. You know what an Eagle project is? If you're going to be an Eagle Scout, you have to also do a project. It's one of the last things you do. And uh, he says, I'm going to do my Eagle project and I need some help. Um, smart of him to ask for help. He learned. He was, already, he was already ahead of the game. So we talked about um, different kinds of projects. And uh, so I was 
I don't know if I was mentoring him or what I was doing. I was helping him succeed. And um, what's on your heart? And he says, well, I'd kind of like to, to help build a safe play area for kids in a park. Okay. Step one. What's the first step? Decide what makes a play area safe. What makes it safe? Figure that out. Step two, what's a play area? What has to be in it for it to be a play area? Now you know what makes it safe, what makes it play. Now you have some picture for it. What kind of materials do you have to have on hand? Next step, one step after another. And after a period of time, here was this play area that was had a chain link fence around it, and he had vision, and he recruited people, and he found materials, and here is a safe in a park, a safe play area for kids. Here's another one. You're a guy, and you have a goal and a vision to find your woman. Okay, one step at a time. Take a bath. <laughs> Buy some deodorant. Move out of your mother's basement. Sell the Xbox one step at a time. <laughs> so the next thing that Nehemiah does is he, he takes this thousand-mile journey. He's on his quest now. No airplanes, no trains, no cars. This is a real journey. He shows up. He rests. And then the word says he goes out at nighttime and he starts looking around. He's trying to hide from his political enemies. He doesn't want them to know what he's doing. So at nighttime, he's out investigating. While other people are sleeping, he's investigating. And there is a little um, interesting note for leaders. Great leaders often work while other people are sleeping or resting. They put in the extra time because they have a vision to succeed. They put in that extra effort. Okay, so he's planning. After he gets all of his information together and, and uh, so forth, here's the third thing a change your world leader does. He defines the mission carefully. He makes plans carefully. And then he inspires people passionately. Because a change your world leader knows that you can make a difference by yourself. But to impact the world, other people are going to have to buy into this picture of change. So, okay, let's take a look. Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 17. Then I said to them, do you see the trouble that we're in? So he points at the wall, I suppose, and this is embarrassing. This isn't right. It's humiliating. Our God isn't being honored by this. It just looks horrible. It's not acceptable. Do you see the trouble we're in? So, so, so he goes, on. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Hey, we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. Um, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. If you will define your mission clearly, make plans carefully and care so much that this gets down, gets down deep into your heart, when you gather people around you or when you are around people, you will inspire them. You, you will inspire them. You might say, well, I'm just not that inspirational. You know, I just kind of, I keep my lawns mowed. There's nice straight lines there, and it looks good. But I just, there's no fire when I talk to other people. Here's Nehemiah, a simple cupbearer, a wine taster. He wasn't anything, the best at anything. He just cared. Yet somehow when he stood before this group of people, they realized that he cared. I don't know what kind of words he may have said. But I believe when he stood there with them, they could see the passion in his eyes. 
I love what John Wesley says about this. You've got to think about this for a minute. He says, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. So, Nehemiah, he says, do you think this is acceptable to God? Our people are vulnerable. We're not honoring our fathers and our mothers. We're not, we're not building a city to protect ourselves. It's just we're protecting our children and our children's children. The temple is not what it should be. God is dishonored. This is a disgrace. Come on. Everybody says it can't be done. I'm telling you the hand of God is with us. And so he goes on, goes on to tell them how God had touched the heart of this king. Now, here's the backstory. story. Thirteen years before Nehemiah made the request, the king had just made a specific decree. The walls will not be rebuilt. And he gets in there and he says, I'm brokenhearted. God, I need, I need permission to rebuild the walls. Not only that, I need you to pay for it. And I need you to provide the army to protect me while I, while I travel. He's, this guy's... Those are some pretty big requests. They're pretty majestic requests. I think the Lord's hand is obvious. He says, obviously the Lord's hand is upon him. Oh, by the way, this is a pep talk, I suppose. We're going to face some opposition. This is going to be hard. We're going to work day and night. Our hands are going to hurt. Our feet are going to hurt. But we're going to love every minute of it because we're going to be involved in something that is powered by the Spirit of God. We're going to be doing something that's going to be strengthening for our children, something that's going to be strengthening for the Lord's people. Oh, and we got political enemies, Sanballat and Taliah. We're, we're going to talk about them. They're going to show up to a post. Next week, we're going to talk about the opposition that we'll face and how to push past discouragement, about how that opposition is going to come and try and throw us off our mission. But there may, and he said probably to them, there may be times that we work with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. But by the power of God, we're going to fight for our children, for our wives, for our children's children, because this is bigger than us. And in that, that group of people saw the passion, a group of people who for 140 years were convinced their tomorrows were cast in the same present they were in. There's no hope. It'll never happen. That same group of people all of a sudden saw passion and vision. And in 52 days, 52 days, they rebuilt the walls around their city. 52 days. And that happened because with God, all things are possible. Everything is possible. God raised up a cupbearer to be a world-changing leader. I'm here to tell you today, God is going to do the same thing through some of you. And maybe world-changing leader means your world. Maybe it means our world. Maybe it means the world. But I'm telling you, God is going to do the same thing through many of you. I just, down in my soul, I know it's true. And I'm not going to... Just not going to let up. Last week, I told you some stories about um, a friend who um, many of you may know, too, who was an orphan girl. And um, as she got to adulthood, she wanted to find out, you know, where did I come from? Why did my family give me away? Where are they? What's the deal? You may know that. And as she explored this, she found some ugly things that led into the topic of um, trafficking, trafficking in sex slaves. And 
she got it in her heart and started this simple mission that she was going to go help some, somebody get out. Go help some of these gals get out of this, this problem. And um, she started sharing her passion and people got around her. She ended up intersecting with a congresswoman from our area and ended up traveling. And today, there are homes and places of escape for, for women in her native land of India. And that work continues. And she pr- travels occasionally now with the U.S. State Department. What God has done through one person, he can do through anyone, every, everyone or any one of us here too. If you'll just believe that there's a leader in you by the Spirit of God and that God is calling you. I mean, I, I, I like to imagine what will happen around us right here if we respond righteously when the Lord calls us to this. I mean, I, um, I implore you not to become like the others who just were willing to live among the ruins of Jerusalem. Don't be like everybody else around you. It's pretty common. Here's the common thing. People don't. They, and they live, for, they live for material things. They, they live for the wrong things, things that don't last. And then at the end of their life, they sit and they look back and they say, oh, if I would have, could have, should have. And that's what the majority of the world does. They waste our li- their lives. We waste our lives on things that don't matter. But if you surrender your heart fully to Christ, then you'll become his disciple. And then you'll be filled with the exact same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Wow. You mean the same one? Yes. Yes. The same powerful spirit that pulled him out of the grave would be involved in what the Lord is calling you to do. God will turn you into an others-centered, others-serving, God-glorifying kind of life. And then you'll start to see your burden and your misery turn into your ministry. You'll see God doing things that were impossible. And then when you get to the end of your life, you'll look back and say, wow, I left it all in the field. My life counted. And then you'll stand at one point before the king. And he'll look into your eyes. And I don't think it'll be, well done, good and faithful servant. I think it'll be, well done. Well, that rocked. Way to go. <laughs> I believe that kind of passion is going to come from the king when he faces you. And it'll be great to walk past with the high fives and the, all that. I, I don't know if they high five in heaven or high 20 or what. <laughs> they probably could, you know. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. There's a picture. All you have to do is believe that he can use you and that he wants to use you. When I think of what that would mean um, through us, the people in this church, you know, I want this church to be a place where anybody can engage Christ. I want the people that live right there, every point in the compass, who the Holy Spirit would court and say, hey, come on over to that simple little church by the railroad tracks. <laughs> a, guy, a guy told me something a week and a half ago, and he didn't use simple. He used, anyway. It was, it was denigrating but very complimentary at the same time because it surprised him the way you felt about a guest coming in. I want anybody who might happen to be drawn here by the Spirit to have the full-throated opportunity to engage Jesus. 
That's what this place needs to be. And it'll only be that if we all allow ourselves to be engaged by the Lord for what he's calling us to. You're on your way. You're doing a great job. This is not a point of correction, but there's a vision for something that I see. And I can tell you, in the last month to a month and a half, I've had contacts like I've never had before from people who have no connection with the church, the church, not this church, any church that somehow have shown up here or called here or asked to meet or they visited and they've been drawn, I'm telling you, by supernatural means. And I bet you there are people here today who haven't been here before. And you can't really explain why you're here except you felt like you needed to come. And the spirit, there's something in your restful in your spirit that brought you here. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. The Holy Spirit loves because the Lord would say this. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to die apart from relationship with God. Because that's the issue of eternal, of eternity. So God draws. I want this place to be a place where anybody and everybody can engage with Christ. God wants to use you. Think of Uncle Sam, you know, Uncle Sam wants you. <laughs> I don't think there's a single person to be in that, that would be excluded from this that has to be the best. You just have to care the most. And I just would say to you, why not let it be you? Why not you? Um, there's an author whose name is Max Lucado. And he says this, you change your life by changing your heart. Let's pray. God, today, I want to thank you, Lord, for the fact that every person here is qualified, that we don't have to somehow disqualify ourselves because we're just not quite as good as the person to the left or the right or we're not Walt Disney or any other person who's risen to world prominence. And God, I don't know what kind of majestic ministries are buried in this group of people waiting to be resurrected or waiting to be birthed, but you do. So I pray over those visions of heaven that you have for your kids. I ask God for their release. I ask God for the practical steps to be reasonably approached by your kids. Grant to us, Lord, a very clearly defined mission. I pray, God, against the discouragement, the words that would come and say, oh, you will never be able to do that, or, oh, this would never happen, or you will never amount to, I just cancel the the spiritual effect that those words may have had upon us. I name the name of Jesus over those words, and I just say, they should wither. (laughs) They should die. But instead, words of hope, words of life, words of faith, words of heaven, Lord, would take root. God, I want to pray for our neighbors. And by that, I just mean the people around us who your spirit is drawing and calling. Help us as a church family, really, Lord, to be prepared, ready, and capable to be vessels of love, what it would be that you would call us to. And church, keep your eyes closed. I want to just say to anybody here who has um, come, and maybe you've been in church lots of times, and maybe this is the first time, there's something in your soul that says, I would like to have right relationship with, the, with God. I just want to be right with God, whatever that means. Here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that there is no person who is good enough on their own merits to be, be okay with God. Everybody falls short. Everybody has failures. Everybody's got sin and imperfection. So God came up with a plan. 
His plan was to send his son who would come, live, and die so that he could forgive. So that he could forgive all of those imperfections, those shortcomings that we all possess. He sent his son. And the word says, there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. That's what scripture says. If you've never resolved that, today is as good a day as any. The word says that if you believe with your heart that he came and he died and he rose on the third day and he did it for you. If you believe that and you're willing to accept that, the word says you'll be saved. It says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to call on the name of the Lord, you do that right now by just simply saying in your heart, God, I call on you. I want to receive you. I, I I want what that means. It's as simple as that. You can't, you can't get there by being nice, by giving money, by doing good deeds. You do it because you embrace relationship with the one who forgives you. That's the only way. If you want to embrace forgiveness so that your eternity is sealed, so that heaven is your future, I just suggest you make that decision right now. Where it says, if you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Confession just means you let somebody know you've made that decision. I'm going to look around the room while eyes are closed and I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or identify you after this. But if you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, quickly look up at me and just let me agree with you. And that's all that it takes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Now, if I've missed you, just give me a little hand wave because I don't want to miss anybody. Lord, I want to thank you for your hand of grace upon us. The gospel is a good thing. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We love the fact that you draw people in. We pray that you would, that you would draw people in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Okay, church, we can stand up and uh, 